Good morning and welcome back to the Gathering Cloud. I'm Bobby Clanton. I'm going to be your teacher today. If you're a repeat listener, thank you for coming back. Uh, my good friend, Mr. Jimmy Benson, is out there and he always uh, tells me when I get to church what the message was about. That's always a good confirmation that he was listening. And I, if you're out there, Brother Jimmy, thank you for coming back. And any of the rest of you, if you'll indicate that to me at church, I'll mention your name on the air. How about that? Well, anyway, thank you for being here. If you're a repeat uh, listener, thank you for coming back. If you're new, thank you for being here today. Uh, we'll always on this program try the best we can and the best effort we can to share the, the Word of God with you honestly and without compromise. And uh, we think that the only thing that will change the world in which we live is a continuous preaching and teaching of the Word of God. God's Word never changes. It is exactly what it says it is. It is God's Word. It is the Word of a sovereign God who has direction for for His creation, and especially for those of us who have been saved and born again of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That Word will change your life. It will change the life of your family. It will change your personal life. And the more it changes you, the more it changes people around you. So you should attend a church who respects the Word of God, preaches it without compromise, and preaches it without any kind of deviation, but simply presents the Word as it is and allow our sovereign God to do His work based on the seeds that you plant as an evangelist. Now, as we've said many times in the past, we say this almost every week, the spiritual condition of the world in which we live at this time in human history tells us pretty close to where we are on God's timeline as far as God bringing all this to a conclusion. Uh, Even Jesus himself said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. So if you look at Noah for just a moment, we've looked at him from time to time because it is the one thing that Christ himself said during his ministry that that related to the end end times uh, that is very clear. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. So we look around ourselves today, and I I was thinking the other day about Noah. You know, Noah was, uh, if you go through Genesis uh, 5 and you read through there, and what happens is when you read that, it, it, one of the last things that God says it, is, is it grieves me that I have made man and put him on the earth. And so he's going to have to destroy humanity. But then he says something that is so fantastic, so unique, and so important to us today as believers. He says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man, one man. And that one man found grace in the eyes of the Lord and saved humanity. So you remember the story. He told Noah to start building an ark because there would be a time where he would come and and that he would destroy the earth by water, Noah's flood, and he would destroy the earth because of the wickedness that he saw. I often look around in our world sometimes and say, you know what, if God destroyed Noah's world for for the things that they did Um, total destruction and the end of this world can't be far away I mean and and that's the actual point that's the point 
because what what he what Jesus said was as it was in days Noah that, that you'll be able to tell by looking around you, and when you see those same things, you can believe that the coming of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, is imminent. Now nobody knows the time. I can't tell you if it's this year, next year, a hundred years from now, but I do know this. This is one thing I know for sure. We are in the last days. Jesus Himself said that that this was the last days, that in these days. Uh, Paul said that to to uh, Timothy when he wrote uh, the letters to Timothy to try to help him uh, uh, deal with the issues that he was dealing with both in his church and outside. Now, I'm going to read to you in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to, to look at what he's, what Paul says about that. So if we put ourselves in a position of looking at where the world is today, uh, with all of the evil and all the things that are going on, it disturbs me that in the last eight or ten years, we have seen almost a total erosion of, number one, respect for Christianity. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. We've seen an erosion of of moral standards. We've seen a degrading of God's basic institutions. God established two institutions. He established the church, or at least he established marriage between Adam and Eve, and he established the church. Those were the two institutions that he established. And those, both of those institutions are under attack. Now, Satan knows that if he can destroy the family unit, then he can destroy a nation, a world, humanity. He, he, can, he can destroy that because what this is... It's an attack on the institutions that God held to be special. He established them for a purpose. And that purpose was to keep humanity in order without us destroying ourselves. That's the reason for the Ten Commandments. That's the reason for everything that God wrote related to morality was to keep these things in check and let man seek the holiness that he could not find but could find in Jesus Christ through that through the redemption. And so Noah built the ark, and so Noah was preaching for all this time that God is going to judge the world. Now, if you're out there as a believer doing the work of an evangelist, you're out there preaching that also. I've heard a lot of uh, uh, preachers and people say, well, you know, we got to preach love, we got to preach love. There's no doubt about that. Never let it be said that I said you're not supposed to preach the love of God because it is the love of God... It is the grace of God through his love that brings us unto himself and forgives us of our sins. But men need to be made aware that God is holy. He is a sovereign God. Men need to be made aware that you cannot attack his institutions, the institutions being the church and marriage and and, and other fundamental issues like life and holiness and and respect for God and respect for his commandments has basically just kind of gone away yet we sit around as believers in our churches very being very comfortable and very satisfied that we can come in and kind of be around God's people and there's nothing wrong with that I mean it's good to be able to fellowship with God's people get kind of recharged spiritually and go back out and share the word but the point I'm trying to make to you this morning there's no doubt that we're living in the last days this cannot go much longer if you look at the progression of evil and the destruction of these institutions and things that have happened over just the last 30 or 40 years, and especially over the last 10 years, um, a logical person 
could determine that it just can't last much longer. Now, I know that we, uh, a lot of us out there do the same thing I do. Sometimes I hear these horrendous acts. A couple convicted uh, a couple of weeks ago over in uh, in Georgia for killing their 15-day-old baby. Can you imagine? I, I, I just can't. Of course, I can't imagine a state passing a law and then celebrating the fact that they can kill an a, a child after it's born if the parents decide, if the mother decides that she doesn't want it. And I listened to all this talk about, well, we're infringing upon uh, a woman's right to deal with her own body. You know what? If you never had uh, simple biology um, and listened to your biology teacher, I'm going to tell you something. And this should be very simple. That body that she's destroying is not hers she is simply the nourisher of that body until such time as it is fully ready to be born life begins at conception and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how much nonsense you spew forward how much evil you spew forward i just sometimes i cannot even imagine listening to some of these people getting up and saying more or less, and sometimes directly, we have a right to kill these unborn children. We, we have a right to do that. That is our right. Now, I'll tell you that the impact of all of this uh, on uh, our society and on our world and on our message as Christians, you know, we have sat around, I mean, listen, you've got so far, so-called uh, Christian churches that say that abortion's fine. You've got churches that say that same-sex marriage is fine. You've got people now wanting to turn criminals loose without any punishment because of we ought to love those people. So what they do is they take a Christian attribute, a Christian principle, and they distort it, which is what Satan does. He he distorts that whole idea that oh, just because you love someone, you won't punish them. And that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says, even with your children, that failure to chasten your children means you do not love your children. If you love your children, you will give them correction and guidance so that they can grow up and be essential and uh, human beings, adult human beings, that will contribute something to society. Now, I want you to read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, if we're not living in perilous times now, I cannot imagine what... It is. We're we're in a time now to where uh, the things that are going on are so bad. He says, but this is one of the identities of the last days. He puts those two things together in that phrase in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He simply says this, in the last days there will come perilous times. And we're in perilous times now. It is the list is so long that we wouldn't have time to do it on this program if we contributed the whole thirty minutes to that. And here, and he follows in the next verse, and he says, "For men will be lovers of themselves, uh, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers." You know, this is this is interesting. I share with my classes all the time that all sin stems from one sin. And that's the sin that Eve committed in the Garden of Eden. And that is taking what she wants for herself 
rather than what God had told her to do. And this is the thing. All sin stems from a worship of self. Self. S-E-L-F. Self. That's what we're up against. He says here in the last days, perilous times will come and men will be lovers of themselves. Why do you think that, for instance, the abortion industry of a billion dollar industry, it's because of money. They don't care about the lives. They don't care about the lives that they destroy with the women that they abort the children for. They don't care about the life that they take when they take the child's life. It's about money. It says here that they'll be lovers of themselves. And the very second thing that he puts there, and I have to tell you that Scripture is very specific about the way it places things. These things are placed in the order of the most uh, egregious on down. And one of them, he says, is, he says they are lovers of themselves first. That's where it all starts, lovers of yourselves. Selfish uh, expectations. And then secondly, the lovers of money. And then what comes after love, the love of money? You boast about it. You're proud. And then this next one is blasphemers. It is blasphemy. I'm telling you that it is blasphemy for people to stand up whether on the news or otherwise, and condemn Christianity as bigotry and uh, that uh, condemn the love of God as being uh, narrow-minded, too strict, these kind of things, and they deny the existence of God. And so by doing that, they create a whole, uh, how is it, uh, an underculture of anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christianity. And that's what we're up against. He said, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the problem. If you take those first four verses and you read them, the generally the person in the general population, if you read that or the reader, uh, just a normal person read that and, they, and here's what they would say well that's exactly what I expect evil people to be like is what was described there I agree with it 100% that is what ungodly uh, sinful people are there's a problem here look at verse 5 it says here that they have a form of godliness but they deny its power these are church people these are people who are in a church, let's say. Of course, not all church people. I'm just saying they are in the church. What he is pointing out here is he says they have a form of godliness. And that word form in the Greek, is a, it, it means to appear just as the real thing. In other words, it has a form of what? Of godliness. So what it looks like, these people he's just described, they have a form of godliness. So we would never think that. Oh, well, my goodness, you know, people in the church will be like this? Of course they are. And so one of the signs of the end times is that the church will begin to have the apostates and these people that that qualify under all the categories he's already listed. He says, but they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power there. That, that power there is the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are religious, but they're lost. They're religious, but they're lost. They're dependent on their religion to get them to a point where they will be acceptable to God. It's not possible. He says, they deny its power, and here's what he says, and from such turn away. Now listen, if you're a 
if you're a church member out there, you uh, let's just not say church member. Let's say if you're a Christian and you're a member of somebody's church and you believe in the Lord, the Lord has saved you, he's cleansed you of your sin, and you believe that the Word is the Word of God, as it says, that it is without error, without any kind of uh, uh, confusion and those kind of things, then here's the thing. I will tell you this. If there are people in your group, in your church, in the same environment, and they don't believe the fundamental truths of Scripture, then it is questionable as to whether those people are saved or not. Because there are some common things that we must believe, and I'll just give you a few of them. We must believe that Jesus Christ was the incarnate God, that he was the Son of God. We must believe that. We must believe that he was immaculately conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary and brought forth as a physical child. He was God in the flesh. We must believe that you cannot believe in God and not believe in Jesus Christ. I've heard people actually say that. Well, I don't know about Jesus, but I do believe in God. Scripture says you can't do that. He said it's impossible. If you accept the Father, you have to accept the Son. You cannot accept one and leave the other. It's not possible. You cannot be saved and believe that. I don't care what people say. You can't believe it. Scripture is very clear about it. You must believe that. You must believe that he lived a sinless life and that he could not have sinned. I've heard people say, well, you know, when he was tried in the Garden of Eden, he could have sinned. It's not true. It's not true. There was nothing in him to which sin appealed. He was tested there to show that he was the Son of God, that he did not have a depraved nature like those born of Adam. He could not have sinned. The very fact that he rejected sin is the reason that we can be saved because if he was just like us in that respect, then he is the lamb that's not worthy to be sacrificed. But he was worthy. He was the lamb without blemish. The Old Testament required that these sacrifices be put up for a period of time to make sure that they were not sick, they could not have any visible blemishes, and that's exactly uh, what uh, he being born without the sin nature meant, that he was not sick internally. And And the reason we know that was he was tested, he was looked at, and he was without sin. And he was the sacrifice, he was the adequate and worthy sacrifice for men's sins. So we have to believe those things. We have to believe that as a sinless son of God, he went to the cross and he died for us, and we have to believe in the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, nothing that we teach is worthy. So if you're around people like that and uh you know and and they don't understand or they don't believe that, it says here that you ought to turn away from them. He said, turn away from those those kind of people. From such people, turn away. It says, for of this sort, verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into various, uh, in the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now look, you know, there's some people that know more considerably more about religion than they do about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's not good. You know, the Word of God says here, what it says here is they, they ever learn but never come to the knowledge of the truth. So they know all about religion. And it gives a great example there in verse 8 with Janus and Jambres when they resisted Moses. You remember when Moses was sent 
in uh, with Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And so he goes in, and he has the rod. He casts the rod down. It becomes a snake. He picks it up. becomes a rod again. Well, Pharaoh brings in his guys, and this happens to be Janice and Jambres. He brings his guys in, and they do the same thing. A fake miracle. This was a fake miracle. It appeared to be, now listen to this, it appeared to be the same thing that Moses did with his rod. However, if you read that account uh, in uh, the Exodus, if you read that account, what you will see is that the serpent of Moses consumed the soothsayer's serpent when they threw him down, and he, he killed them and ate those two serpents. So you see, God is, and God's miracles are superior. They are superior because Jesus Christ himself is superior. Uh, it, it is not a, uh, these are the things that true believers must believe. You know, you cannot deviate on those. A person who comes along and says, well, you know, uh, I, we'll just take one of them. I believe that Jesus could have sinned in, in the wilderness. Okay, well, if that was possible, if there was anything in him to which that appealed, then the sacrifice of his blood means nothing. He had to be pure. His spirit had to be pure. He had to be pure in his actions. He had to be pure completely because he was God. Otherwise, he would be just like us, and that's just simply not the way it is. So he says here that Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. He says here they are men of corrupt minds. And look at this, disapproved concerning the faith. So if you've ever read this passage of Scripture and thought that he was talking about ungodly people of the world, you're mistaken. You have to read this in context. He's talking about people who claim to be saved. He's talking about people who claim to be part of the church, of the ecclesia, the invisible church. He's saying that, and what he says is, they also resist the truth. And he says that their minds are corrupt, and they, they, they are disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. He says, sooner or later, these people who are actually members of the church, who have a form of godliness but have no power, these people who have corrupt minds, who are members of the church, and they, like Janice and Jambres, who resisted Moses, will eventually come to judgment. Now listen, a born-again believer, a person born again of the shed blood of Jesus Christ by the coming into their, their very being, the Holy Spirit of God coming in and dwelling in us and cleansing us of sin, those are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters with those people. We are part of the body of Christ. And on the positive note to that, uh, forgetting the apostates for a moment, on the, on the positive side of that, this is what we need to do. We need to be a body. True believers need to be a body. We need to be concerned with each other. When Paul uh, wrote the Corinthian church and described us being part of the body, he says, when one part of us hurts, all should hurt. And I, I heard a preacher, I've used this example before, I don't know if I've done it on the radio, but I knew a pastor one time who was preaching, he, and he told this story about everybody in his house being gone. He was in the shower, the phone was ringing. That was back in the days when the phones were connected to the walls, which my children don't believe even to this day. But uh, <laughs> they used to be attached to the wall. 
anyway, he had to get out of the shower. He had soap on him. He was running through the house to get the phone. He slipped and fell, jammed his little toe against the doorpost. And he said for a moment there, he said he held that toe. He said the most insignificant part of my body as I saw it at that time. But he said, you know, for a moment there, he said that little toe was the only thing that mattered to me. It was the only thing that mattered. And he said, and I held it until it quit hurting. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters in Christ, in your fellowship, wherever it may be, among other Christian brothers and sisters, true believers, we need to hold each other in times of need and times of distress until it quits hurting. You understand what I'm saying? We are the body of Christ. We are obligated to you know when one part of us hurts which one person in our fellowship hurts everybody should be hurting we're not out there all grinding our own axe trying to take care of ourselves first we need to take care of each other there is no reason in any fellowship why any true believer in a Christian fellowship should suffer for uh, money or distress or any of these kind of things we need to minister to each other we need to hold each other what like he held that toe and we may think that there's some people and we shouldn't think this but in some cases we think well well they, that person is a little insignificant nobody's insignificant in the body of christ i want to be clear about that from the poorest to the richest we are all just sinners saved by grace we should never assume that one is less important than the other he says simply here that that we we hold each other as the body of christ he said all of us can't be hands or ears or whatever but all told put together we are the body we are the ecclesia we are the church we are the body of the church and we need to remember that we need to minister to each other we need to help with each other's hurts we need to be able to come and to address that in a way different from what the world does the world may be falling apart around us as we talk about here every week related to the to the last days but here's the thing you know the church will be here until it's taken out and we're here to minister we're here to preach the message to to be a herald of the truth we have to blow that horn like they did when he walked around the city of jericho and i was there when i went to israel and it's unbelievable they walked around there for seven days and uh, they went around in a and he said you have to be totally silent until the seventh time and so that's what happened when they blew that horn together those walls came down and that's a significant that is significant so let's minister to each other let's feel each other's hurts I'll tell you that there's probably nothing more satisfying in the Christian life within a fellowship than a time when we can honestly minister to each other without any additional motives we need to help each other because we love each other and if we love each other we can go forward in more power and more influence and the world will see that that we as believers are different and we have a different message we have a different purpose we have a different thing in mind when we go forward they will see the love of Christ through the way that we treat each other so the fact of the matter is yes we are in the last days but the other fact is this the church 
as it is, will always be here uh, to the point where God will rapture the church out and judgment will come in. And until that time happens, the church needs to be the church. We need to exhibit the love of Christ. We need to preach the word without compromise. We need to push back against evil. And we need to understand that we are in a spiritual warfare. But being in a spiritual warfare with all the folks around us, true believers, as the body of Christ, we strengthen each other. We're more powerful that way, and we accomplish much more that way. And we need to keep that in mind. Do the work of an evangelist. Go out there and preach until such time as God says there is no more time. And that is our responsibility. And that is what we should be doing. So I hope that you will do that. I hope that you, as you go forward this week, I hope that you will remember that as you're ministering to other people, as you're sharing the word, as you're going out and and actually preaching that Christ is our Redeemer. So keep all those things in mind. I hope that you have a uh, good week. Uh, I hope you'll get up and go to somebody's church this morning. Now, next week, we will give you the website address where you can go and get the podcast of these messages if you can't listen at 7.30. I got some of my friends that can't get up that early, and uh, I understand that, I guess. So anyway, that's fine, but we'll do that next week. So until then, I just I pray that you will have the best week and that God will bless you in the best way. <music>